Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Reflections Podcast. We're grateful that you've taken the time to listen to our conversation. And we wanted to remind you, as always here at the beginning, that our conversation is meant to be listened to in the context of Pastor Phil's message from this morning. And that's for October 18th, Evangelism, Our Outward Focus. And that should be part one. So uh, if you have not listened to Pastor Phil's message from this morning, stop listening to us, go listen to him, and then come back to us and you'll get much more benefit out of what we have to say. This week, I am joined by David Payton. So how are you, David? Good, brother. Thanks for, thanks for hosting this. Absolutely. Glad to have David with us and we will get right to it. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples who are growing together to become like Christ. And we are in the midst of a series that's a bit different than the norm for us. We are going through our mission statement, what I just read, and kind of picking it apart. And Pastor Phil has kind of picked it apart in three different areas. He's given us an upward focus. We talked about worship. He's given us an inward focus. We talked about our life together. And now this week, we began the first of a two-week examination of evangelism, our outward focus. So next week, my understanding is we're going to be focusing on evangelism abroad, which is often called missions. But this week, we're focused on our individual responsibility to evangelize where we are locally. And uh, right off the bat here, um, we're going to go into our, our big thoughts here, just anything that stood out to us from the, from the, from the message. Uh, but right off the bat, I just want to kind of um, admit first and foremost that of the three guys who regularly record these podcasts, I am probably the least qualified of the three to talk about this. Um, this is an area, I mean, the message today was incredibly convicting, and admittedly, this is an area that I tend to struggle. And I have heard from both of my brothers who are regularly involved in the recording of this podcast that um, from both of them, stories of people that they are witnessing to, people they are evangelizing. And um, so I, I am eager to hear from David on this. So David, anything to, anything that stood out from the lesson today? Well, you know, there is a, there is a relatively easy method of, uh, of evangelizing, and that is uh, get married and have kids. And, uh, and then once you have kids, then you've got a permanent mission field, you know, right at your feet. So uh, for all our singles listening, um, you know, that's an exhortation from a, a married brother to, <laughs> to, uh, to fulfill the, gre the great commission uh, in your home. So mm. I say that tongue in cheek, but, but there, is, <laughs> there is a lot of truth to that as well. Um, and I think that really was the, the Pastor Phil at the, at the end of the sermon at the back of church, we were, I was talking with some of the brothers and sisters and he came up and kind of was a bit little apologetic about not wanting to seem kind of ornery about correcting the misrepresentation uh, of what evangelism can be mm. um, as being like some event. And I thought it was interesting as a South African coming in um, we don't have the, the same kind of corporatization of evangelism as you guys here in the United States have, 
have historically had um, all the way from back in the day with Billy Sunday and the evangelism crusades and um, campus crusade for Christ and, and the evangelism explosion and all of the, the mm. stuff that's, that's gone on um, historically, especially over the last 100 years in the United States. We don't have that in South Africa. Um, but it's important to, I think, before you can even address what something is, you've got to say what it isn't. Um, and I think it was necessary to highlight that. Um, so as, a, as that can kind of be a little of a little sour to address initially, um, it is important to, to state that. And I thought that was, that was good. Um, and then as he went on, just the, the general um, idea that every Christian, every believer um, can and must be involved in evangelism um, at, at a grassroots level in their home and expanding outwards. Uh, so for me, this morning was really a, it was, it was reminders and exhortations um, to, to convictions and actions and attitudes towards evangelism that, um, that should be pervasive in the Christian's life. So that was good. Um, you know, we, we often, as, as the Christian life goes on, there are many things that you don't, that won't be new to you. Um, but as Paul said to the, the Philippians, for me to write the same things to you is not burdensome, and for you it is safe. So for believers to be reminded of things that they know very well, um, it's safe. It's good for us to, to be reminded. So um, those were some of my takeaways. I, uh, I also appreciated his discussion of what evangelism is not. Um, and I think that's kind of you, you really put it on there, the, the corporatization of American Christianity. And I think mm -hmm. that's a lot of what we see. I was, I was talking with a, a dear friend of mine from a church south of us, and we both kind of readily admitted that we're not really people people. Like we're, we, we, tend more to, we tend to be a little bit more reserved, a little bit more lone, kind of a loner sort of aspect. Um, and um, he mentioned that what, what this COVID crisis has, has done for him is it has forced him to do his evangelism and his discipleship outside of the regular programmatic structures that his church had in place, um, which is a convicting thought because I tend to rely on those as well. So I, I appreciated the fact that I think in the last like three messages at some level, we've been encouraged that what we do as a church is not inherently tied to programs. Um, and particularly here in this idea of evangelism, I, I also liked kind of the flip side that he gave, he gave like that caveat that they can be useful. So it's, it's not a matter of, you know, we need to abandon all programs and just cast them all off and just, you know, shun them as the devil's work, mm -hmm. but it's, put them in their proper place and understand that they do not in and of themselves constitute evangelism, but they are means to an end. Right. And really they, they just are nice to haves and mm -hmm. not actually really necessary to haves. Um, we don't need an evangelism tent set up in the parking lot for us to see people come to Christ. Um, but if we had a tent set up for us, 
special event. It's not gonna. It's not a sin, um, but we certainly wouldn't call it uh, the the power hour or uh, you know the what what is it uh, revival weekend? You know that kind of thing. Mm. Um, the, the the Holy Spirit, like John three says that um, you know the the wind blows where it wills, and so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Um, we're dealing with the Holy Spirit of God, who is who is an independent sovereign agent um, who chooses when and where to move in people's lives um, and we get the privilege of being part of that work um, we just have to deliver the message um, and uh, and persuade men to join to 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 be saved to repent um, but in your defense kyle um, pastor phil's one of his last points see the church as the best tool for evangelism. Um, and that's the, I think, the, the point there that he was making, I think is twofold. The one is the, the ordinary structures of the church. Um, like, for instance, uh, I'm thinking of, um, is it 1 Corinthians, where Paul speaks about um, when the preaching is is brought and um there's he's actually contradicting the idea that tongues should be preeminent he's saying let there be the preaching of the word and sound speech and knowledge and then an unbeliever who comes into the church mm -hmm. will hear this and he'll see what's going on and he'll say wow god is truly in the midst of you um so so that's the one thing but then the other is he referenced john 13 which was the description of how love uh, when it's manifest among the believers, is in itself a uh, a powerful tool of evangelism for unbelievers to see. Hey, these Christians really love each other, and they and and by observing that love, they will they will they'll be convinced and convicted of uh, the reality of God and the reality of the gospel. Um, so that's in your defense, brother. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I remember hearing from a pastor. It was, it was actually Mark Dever. And he was talking about this concept of evangelism. And I want to say, I, I don't think I'm getting the quote exactly right. It was something along the lines of, uh, the people in my church don't realize that I would give my eye teeth to have the kinds of relationships that they have with unbelievers. Um, in that when you're, when you're involved in ministry, like I, I, I live and work in a position where I'm paid by the church and pastor Phil even referenced this in his sermon that um, in, in some ways as a pastor, it can be difficult to evangelize because you have responsibilities that exist within the church building. <laughs> and there aren't many unbelievers who are in the church building on a given week. Sometimes he did mention they, they do come and I can, I can attest. I have watched pastor Phil give the gospel to salespeople who came to our church and uh, were trying to sell us, I think, phone services. And and he very politely <laughs> turned them down and then gave them the gospel. Well, um, he sold them something far greater. Yeah. So it was, it was, um, it's a guy who lives what he preaches. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you do have regular relationships with unbelievers, take it from somebody who lives and works in the church context. Um, those are very valuable for obeying the Great Commission.
Yeah, amen. Um, you know, one of the, this is, this is a, perhaps, I don't know, an oblique um, point to make, which relates really at a root level to the heart that we, we really need to pray that the Lord will build into us um, as we approach this topic. The, I read in, in an email from a very secular guy, I won't mention the name, but he, uh, he quoted C.S. Lewis in his weekly email. And this, this quote is um, by C.S. Lewis, who is the famous author of Chronicles of Narnia, but a, a very powerful Christian apologist of the previous century. Um, he said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. And then another quote, which followed on, courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently without courage. Um, and at the top of my notebook, you know, you have these quotes um, in, in notebooks mm. time to time, which are often flaky. But this one um, is, listen to this. I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? When one's mind is made up really is another way to describe courage, mm. um, like conviction. And you know, the, the bottom line of all of this is it's 2 Peter 1, add to your faith virtue, uh, or in other words, manliness or courage. Courage really, I think, is one thing that, that we, we really do need in this modern era where there's an increasing uh, hostility to the gospel. Um, there's an increasing hostility, not only to the gospel, but to all things conservative, all things of historical value, um, even all things of, uh, of any form of moral upstanding nature. So to have courage is, uh, is really what we need in the face of all of this. And we need to pray for each other and, and seek to exhort each other and sharpen each other that, that our courage in the face of this culture will grow and we have every reason to be courageous. Um, you know, the gospel, Romans 1, uh, 16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, and 2 Corinthians 5, as Pastor Phil referenced, th that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, and that the love of Christ controls us. We should be full of the fear of the Lord, the the love of Christ controlling us um, and a sense of conviction that the message we have is the most important, the most glorious, the most powerful message that can or has ever been given to mankind. Um, and so with that in mind, I mean, we need to remind ourselves of this all the time. Um, otherwise we forget, like, don't just go in the field without like, you know, tightening your armor. Um, knowing that it's like faithful armor and the sword of the spirit is a, is a sharp two-edged sword able to divide to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, and on that point, 
you know, as we go out and speak to people, even our own children in our homes, let's not rely on our own words, but let's seek to bring the word of God to bear. Um, you know, it's a great mistake to try and evangelize without the actual words of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to actually, we need to bring the actual words of scripture to bear because the, it's the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be memorizing scripture. If, if you don't memorize scripture, bring, bring out, you know, uh, flashcards or, or the Bible itself. Um, or the ESV Bible on your cell phone. Um, <laughs> it's because it's only that, that God, um, the, he uses the word. The word is, is powerful. Um, and so, I mean, that's just, I'm kind of preaching to myself here, and, but to, to both of us and to all of those who listen, um, we, will, we will not have this, the kind of conviction and courage we need unless we're standing behind the, the grand authority of the word of God. And, and with that, I think one of the, one of the temptations, like you said, to use our own, to use our own words, w- we think that we need to reason people mm-hmm. to faith. Um, and just even as I'm, you know, just recently I, I preached on part of the end of first Corinthians one, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing unless God does the work of enlightening the eyes. People will always reject it. We cannot reason someone to faith in Christ. And yet often that's what we immediately try to go to. We think that in order for us to be effective evangelists, we have to know every possible way that people have understood Genesis one. And we have to understand all the different theories of creation and all the different ways that we can counter those things, or we have to understand, um, you know, some other finer point of theology that is, is obscure because someone might ask us about it and we need to logically reason people to faith, present the gospel. The word of God is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two edged sword. It's alive. It's powerful. And I appreciate you, you bringing up, that point there. So, so if we're, if we're trying to use the word and, and that's the, the means by which we can effectively evangelize. So what, what are some, what are maybe some practical ideas for um, building those evangelistic relationships so that we get to use the word, Mm. if that makes sense? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the I think probably one of the most important things to say is, is living before unbelievers with above reproach. Mm. So living a life before them that is consistent with the gospel um, is, is absolutely critical and crucial to our witness. Um, we create a stumbling block for people when our lives are, are inconsistent with the gospel if there's areas of of um inconsistency unbelievers have as charles spurgeon described it they have an eagle eye Mm. that spots those inconsistencies they have a an uncanny ability of discerning um the (laughs) those those uh those uneven parts of our lives that don't match the message um, even children 
at the youngest age have that ability. Um, and that's because Romans 2, that the Lord has given them a conscience that they're able to discern. Um, so I think that's the first thing to say is that our lives need to be consistent. Um, and then also there's a certain, there's a certain winning quality um, of a righteous life and a gracious life, gracious words, um, and a righteous life. I'm thinking of Proverbs, um, a man being skillful in his work will stand before kings, for instance. Um, and a, a man who is righteous makes his enemies to be at peace with him. So, you know, there's many stumbling blocks that can be removed and many, um, and many reinforcing struts that can be put into a relationship with an unbeliever um, just by virtue of, of your behavior before them. Um, and so, so I think that's, that's one, one major component in, in building those, those bridges. Um, another would be perhaps um, an appropriate use of apologetics. So there are certain major stumbling blocks that people have relative to some big questions about like the age of the earth, um, mm -hmm. how did the flood, how could the flood possibly be something scientifically consistent? Um, you know, how could, how could one man and one woman bring about multiple ethnicities? You know, those are, those are, are big questions that, that have, that have very reasonable answers that you can read up on, read up on through, uh, good resources like, Creation Ministries International or Answers in Genesis. I believe there's some, there's, there's some faithful uh, men and women who have answered those questions, holding the Bible as the ultimate authority, but then basing those answers in good science. Um, and, and that can be useful as a, as a bridge. I've used those ministries numerous times with, with colleagues and friends through college and, and later. Um, that have proved very helpful to just demonstrate the reasonableness of the Christian faith. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, I actually wanted to ask you, Kyle, what, what, you, what role you think apologetics plays. But those are, those are perhaps two things in answer to your question. Uh, a, a righteous and holy life in front of unbelievers. Um, and secondly, a, like an appropriate use of apologetics. Do you want to add or comment on anything? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll add and then I'll answer your question. I would say something I found to be helpful for me, just even in my own, you, you talked about courage, mm -hmm. in my own confidence in sharing the gospel and in speaking to it. I find it helpful when people are in church. Um, and some of that is because you're on my turf. <laughs> um yeah. I'm I'm not interrupting your day. I'm not doing all of these other things. You're you're here. You're in this building. Um, and this is, you know, this is where I operate. I'm comfortable here, stuff like that. So if you know, I, I think about some like relationships we might have, one of the ways that we might that we might be best suited is if we can have people in our homes. Mm. Yeah, uh, because not many people are going to, not many people are going to get, you know, bitterly opposed to you if you've just shown them kindness throughout a meal and you've had them over in your house. I know there are, 
there are people in our church who have just recently had um, a kind of a regular visitor to our church. Uh, they just recently had her and her daughter over to their home for for lunch on church uh, after, after after Sunday morning church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a great way to minister to someone in such a way that it makes them more likely to hear the gospel. Um, and so I, I would say having somebody in your home, that is a, that in some senses gets them on your turf uh, mm-hmm. to where without being manipulative, you have an, a much more open door to speak to the realities of the gospel and perhaps encourage people uh, to listen to this uh, effort at persuading them uh, because they're in your home. Uh, and that can just be a way of removing a barrier and also showing love for our neighbor and showing l- kindness towards people. Mm. With regard to apologetics, as you mentioned, I know I kind of, we stated you don't have to know all of the finer points of you know the Genesis 1 and creation week and all that stuff. You don't have to necessarily know all the finer points in order to effectively evangelize. But that's not to say that apologetics never has a never has a use, um, because Christianity is not an irrational religion. It's the think it is a thinking man's faith. Mm. Uh, it is it is accessible for many smart people. Although many of the most intelligent of the world, again, the end of First Corinthians, mm. many of the most intelligent of the world will choke at the responsibility that we have to believe and not just it's not observable science it's faith yeah and um i think apologetics like you like you mentioned i think apologetics is the the use of it is primarily to remove barriers Mm. uh to remove barriers to faith that often our culture and our world and the scientific community has Mm. put against the gospel and it's been taught in the public schools it's been it's been taught um, very broadly. It's taught in kids' television. It's taught all over the place. Mm. And it's kind of ingrained into us. And so I think apologetics is helpful to kind of break down those barriers or at least to saw, I've heard this analogy, to kind of like take a hacksaw to a table leg of their argument, mm. to kind of knock knock a bit of that leg out or at least put a dent in it. To, to weaken some of their arguments and weaken some of the resolve that they may have against Christianity as just being irrational. Well, no, that's just not the case. It is rational, but we can't make them believe. Yeah. And we'll never present a good enough argument for somebody to leave off sin and trust Christ for salvation apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in, in someone's heart. And so I would, I would say apologetics' role is breaking down barriers. It's not to get someone to believe but it removes some of the barriers that may exist there yeah and i think it is it's akin in some way to um the barriers that can be in people's minds relative to seeing the bad behavior of a christian Mm -hmm. like so you know they they're not real barriers they're not they're not actually they're not actually they shouldn't be a barrier to faith but they are, um, and 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 it can often just be a a reason like a reasonable discussion about some of the 
um, some of the basic contours of a matter can be can can take a, a little hacksaw to the to the stability of that that unbelief. Um, and then again, as you say, it's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and the Holy Spirit is the one who will breathe new life into that soul. Um, there's there's an apologetics argument is not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to to bring up something that that I thought was a a very appropriate uh, component of the description of evangelism that Pastor Phil brought up, which is the definition was um, is teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. Mm-hmm. And there's a verse that relates to that, which I've always been quite surprised by, um, you know, as a believer in the sovereignty of God and the, the sovereignty of his, uh, his work in, in bringing conversion to a heart. You know, God is the one who takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. But listen to this from Acts 14, um, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So it didn't just say they spoke the word that a great number believed, but they spoke in such a way that a great number believed. And I think that's, uh, that's something that, that not only the, pre- the, those who are formerly preachers of the gospel should aim to be, um, we should aim to be persuasive mm. uh, in, our, in our words. We should aim to use all of the powers of language to and and the way in which language speaks to the heart um, and to the mind and to the intellect and to the emotions to the reason of people that's what paul did with um uh where is it in acts uh kyle he uh persuade would you persuade me to be a believer that's right. Ah, uh, he's before King Herod Agrippa. He's giving a defense of his, he's been imprisoned uh, for the preaching of the gospel, and he is giving his defense before uh, King Herod Agrippa. And Agrippa's wife was actually a Jewess. And um, so Agrippa was very familiar with Jewish law, Jewish teachings. And Paul finishes his appeal and he appeals to Agrippa to be saved. And Agrippa asks that, that question, would you in a short time persuade me to be a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he was, he was immersed in a culture that was steeped in um, rhetoric and logic Mm -hmm. and, and back and forth persuasive argument much more than we are today, where it's just sound bites and Twitter blasts. Um, that was an era where, where people got together and, and there was the grappling of ideas. Um, that's what we really need to do with people. We need to engage the mind in such a way and the heart in such a way that we really are presenting the reasonableness of the Christian faith. Um, 
and the reasonableness of belief and um and even where paul he it says that he um uh there's there's also the apollos um mm -hmm. what does it say about apollos that he he was mighty in the scriptures um yeah it's acts 18 um so verse 24 he apollos was an eloquent man competent in the scriptures so there's one attribute of this um he the second attribute is he had been instructed in the way of the lord and being fervent in spirit that that would create a certain fervency like hey this is really real like this stuff is really important you need to be listening that that shows itself in bold um and fervent language he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning jesus um verse 26 he spoke boldly in the synagogue and then priscilla and aquila come and they show him the way of god more accurately um and then verse 28 he powerfully refuted the jews in public showing by the scriptures that the christ was jesus so you've got various attributes of of this evangelism that he was doing there was eloquence which not everyone's going to be gifted in and that's why not everyone is a preacher or a, a formal evangelist he was he, he spoke accurately he spoke boldly um and he spoke powerfully with ref, like refutation arguments against um the arguments of the jews using the scriptures as as a foundation and i think i mean you know i've always been i've always been impressed by the figure of apollos in the scriptures he's a he's a um he's got a good reputation that precedes him and he was a good man and many believed and we need to pray that the lord would raise up more apollos in our in our era um he's like one man uh, one man of a generation um and the lord seems to do that he he typically tends to give us about one man per generation um and you know you look at the lives of like george whitfield and um and even way back in the in the early church there was the the era of um i forget the they called him the he had the mouth of a brass trumpet they called him he was one of the the great early church fathers um mm. many believed under him and and we need to pray that the lord would raise up those kind of men uh to to go out into the the world and be like the loud mouthpiece for the gospel but then we need to be simply the smaller mouthpieces in our little parts of the vineyard um so yeah it was a, it was a good encouragement today um it was it was a good stirring up to uh, love and good works so let's let's pray that the lord will help us to be faithful amen and i think that is a very fitting way for us to end our podcast today as always, we want to close by thanking you for listening to our conversation today. We hope it's been a blessing, and you can find sermons, more episodes of our podcast, and devotionals on our blog at fbcwm.org. And Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another episode.